Amen. Young people, you are dismissed. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Thank you for coming, young people. We're glad that you're here. Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Well, we've had a bit of a whirlwind the last nine days, and we appreciate your prayers on Friday a week ago. Uh, Cody and Paul and uh, myself and Pastor Stone and Josh went with us. Uh, went to Ottawa for a men's conference. Pastor Stone and I were preaching there, and so preached Friday night and twice on Saturday. Then we drove home Saturday, Sunday morning church. Sunday afternoon, my wife and I drove to New York, and uh, we're with my daughter and son-in-law at their church on Sunday night. And then on Monday, we helped them move to Ohio. And so we drove to Ohio Monday, and we drove home on Tuesday. And so we appreciate your prayers as we were doing that. And Matthew and Emily will be joining the Village Baptist Temple this morning and taking on the role of assistant pastor there under Pastor Phil Clayton. So we're thankful uh, for their service and ministry. I appreciate your prayers for them as they begin this new chapter in their lives. And so last night we had a great night as well. Uh, the 25th anniversary of Faith Baptist Church in Stony Creek that... Uh, and Brother Eagles invited Pastor Massacre and I both back, and we had a nice dinner, and we both got to speak a little bit and reminisce a little bit and see a lot of old faces that we knew from years ago, and it's such a blessing uh, to be there. And so uh, we're excited for that church and what, what that means. Uh, 25 years, uh, you know, so many churches closing today and so many churches without pastors, and so we're thankful for one that is still standing and enduring, and Brother Eagles is doing a great job there. And uh, you continue to pray for him and faith as they push forward for the sake of Christ and for souls. And so we're excited to see uh, what God has accomplished at that place. And uh, in 2003, sorry, 2004, God gave us a building and they're completely mortgage free. They paid that off just a couple years ago. And so just in about uh, 13 years, they were able to pay off their building. And so we praise the Lord for that as well. If you know the city at all, uh, the building is now appraised at two and a half million dollars, and uh, we were able to we put a bid in. Um, they wanted seven hundred and thousand seven hundred thousand dollars, and after they didn't see that for a couple months, they dropped it to six hundred and ninety, and we we put an offer in at three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and they accepted it. And we praise the Lord for that. And God had blessed, and in four years, our church was able to save up a hundred thousand dollar down payment. And we put that down and we mortgaged 250000 over 15 years and they paid it off in about 14. Uh, so we praise the Lord for what God has done there and uh, continue to pray for them. And uh, it was interesting because they had higher offers when we purchased the building at three hundred fifty. dollars uh, He says, well, we've had an offer of four hundred eighty, and we've had an offer of 530 And one was a dance studio and the other one was a Roman Catholic youth center they wanted to start. But the pastor of the church said, we want a Bible preaching church in here. And so they were willing to take 350000 just to get a Bible preaching church in. So praise the Lord for that. And uh, God had it in mind for them all along. And we're excited to see, again, what Brother Eagles has been able to accomplish there and continue to pray for them, a great group of people, and still pressing forward. A lot of new faces. I, I was excited to go and see so many new people there that we did not know. That means that they're still seeing souls saved and added to the church. And so praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. A week ago Wednesday, the Lord led me to teach a lesson from Matthew 5 and several other, Matthew 18 and, and Mark chapter 11 and different passages of Scripture that had to do with church discipline. 
And uh, as independent Baptists, often in our constitution, it'll say that whenever we have a problem in the church, we go to Matthew chapter 18. And I think that is to our detriment. I believe that is unscriptural. I, I do not believe that's what the Lord wants at all. As a matter of fact, if we, uh, we believe that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, we believe that every word is inspired. And as a result, we have to look at every word. And Matthew chapter 18 says, If thy brother shall trespass against thee. That is not a church discipline. That's resolving a sin one against another. There's a lot of other passages of Scripture that deal with how we deal with somebody that's in sin. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself also, lest thou be tempted. That ought to be our default, showing grace and mercy. And think about this. Where would you be today if God hadn't showed you grace towards your sin? Now, I'm not saying we tolerate sin in the church, open and overt sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 deals with that. He says, you should have rather mourned and turned them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And so there is verses in the Bible that talk about open and overt sin that we need to deal with when it's hurting the testimony of Jesus Christ and it's hurting the testimony of the church and it's causing a hurt to the church family. But for the most part, we are to show grace and try to restore people first. Matthew 18 is if a brother sins against me, how do I deal with that personally? And eventually it can go to the church level, but it's been my experience it never gets that far. Because if I go to my brother and he doesn't hear me and I go with a, a, another witness and they do not, still do not hear me and I say, well, we need to take this to the church, they're either going to quit to save themselves the shame or they're going to humble themselves and get it right, one or the other. But that's the Bible process. But the Lord laid upon my heart as I was teaching that night to explore the first word that we looked at. We looked at four words that night. We looked at the word ought, faults, trespasses, and sins. Four Bible words that have uh, some consequences, but also teach us how to deal with each one and each level of severity. Now, understand this, all sin condemns us to hell. We're all, we're all guilty of being sinners. The Bible says so. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And so we're all guilty of sin. But sin varies in how it affects me. I just gonna, I'm going to be honest with you. If you lie to my wife, that's not going to hurt me as much as if you murder my wife. Does that make sense? So there are varying degrees, right? You, you kill somebody that I love, it hurts me far more than it, I might be hurt if you lie to me. But if you murder me, I'm going to be far, far worse off. And so, so there are varying degrees in, in how we deal with sins in the Bible. But the Lord burdened my heart about preaching on just this word, ought. If any man have ought with his brother. And so I, with God's help today, I've titled the message, Tainted Worship and Powerless Prayers. Tainted worship and powerless prayers. We'll look at two passages of Scripture. We'll stay primarily in Matthew chapter 5, but then we'll look at Mark chapter 11 a little bit later on in the message. And you will find that when we have aught with a brother or a brother has aught with us, either our worship is tainted or our prayers are powerless. Let's look at the Word of God today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, 
and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberst that thy brother hath awed against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift." Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, today as we look at this important topic. Lord, as I come to the house of God on Sunday mornings, the desire of my heart is to worship. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that our worship can be tainted if we have aught with a brother or if a brother has aught with us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, when those times come that we're aware of something, that we would deal with it properly, that we'd either just forgive or we'd seek forgiveness, whatever it might be, Lord, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we also understand or will understand from the passage today that our prayers also are affected when we have aught with a brother or a brother has aught with us. Lord, so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we look to the word of God, that you would use it to prick our hearts, speak to us today. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Lord, we need your spirit to guide us and fill us and teach us. So we ask for his fullness today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Read with me again, if you will, in verse 21, and we're just going to look over this verse quickly. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Matthew chapter 5, of course, is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus Christ is preaching. And in his preaching, he is using a literary method here that helps him to explain. He's going to an extreme to show us the contrast of what an ought with a brother might do. The Apostle Paul did the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, though I speak with the tongues of angels and have not charity, I have become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Paul never spoke with the tongue of angels. He didn't arise into the heavens and speak in a heavenly language to angels. He's saying, if I could do that, if I had all knowledge and I don't have charity, or if I had all gifts of miracles and prophecy and I did not have... So he's speaking with a, an extreme to demonstrate how important charity is. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is doing the very same here. He says, you have heard it said of them of old time that whosoever shall kill... He says in verse 21, that thou shall not kill, and whosoever shall kill be in, shall be in danger of the judgment. And so he makes this other uh, comparison, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now read on in verse 23. Therefore, 
Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. You say, what does the word ought mean? It means something. That's all it means. The smallest little thing. I described it on Wednesday night like this. Have you ever spoke with somebody and you went out to your car and you said to your wife, I, I, everything seems okay, but there's just something not right. You ever done that? You notice somebody's demeanor or their mood? You should stand up here on a Sunday and look at the faces around the room. I don't don't know what, but something's not right over there, I'll tell you that. I'm trying not to look in your way right now. Something, just something. Have you ever felt that way? Help me out. Everybody's just staring at me. You all felt that way at some point, right? I'm just not sure what it is, but I don't know. It's like a pebble in the shoe. Just something. Every time you take a step, you can sense it. You can feel it. You know it's there. That's all the word ought means. It's the smallest of things. Notice the contrast. In verse 21 and 22, God is speaking, or Jesus is speaking, of murder. And if a man have anything in his heart against his brother, if he's angry without a cause, he's guilty of the judgment too. But now he says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, remember you have aught with a brother. He goes to a great contrast. He's talking about murder. Now he's talking about just the smallest little thing. So what is the significance? I want you to see it in Scripture this morning, and we're going to look at that. But I want you to notice, first of all, number one, the description of anger. The description of anger. In those first two verses, we read of the description of anger. The Lord Jesus Christ is trying to paint a picture for us to help us understand uh, how important this is. And you say, well, this really sounds more like a, a Sunday night message, a practical message. Let me tell you this. It directly affects our worship. That's a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday issue. That's every day of the week, 24-7, we ought to be giving worship to our God. And so this is a all-the-time issue. But notice what he says as we talk about the description of anger. He says, first of all, anger without excuse. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, anger without excuse, or as Jesus put it, without a cause. You say, well, does that mean it's okay to get angry, pastor? Matter of fact, it is. The Lord Jesus Christ got angry, didn't he? His was a controlled anger. The Bible says he sat on the steps of the temple and he weaved his scourge. He knew what, exactly what he was going to do when he went in to turn over those money changers and throw those tables over. The Lord was angry because they had taken what was to be called the house of prayer and turned it into a den of thieves. Righteous indignation. But here's the thing, you're not Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, be angry and sin not. So there is allowance for anger, but there's no allowance in Scripture for anger to endure for long. We're always to make it right. So he says, if you're angry without a cause, you say, oh, but preacher, I've got a good excuse for my anger. Do you? Let's hear it. 
The truth is, often our excuses for our anger, for what it is that's bothering us, are so petty and so small that we're ashamed to say it out loud for fear that others might laugh. That's all you're upset about? That's all you're worried about? Sometimes we take something the wrong way. I'm, I'm going to just step out and say this. we got to quit being so sensitive. Being hurt so easily. Now listen, that does not give anyone in this room the excuse to go out and offend somebody. We are not to offend the weaker brother. The Bible is very plain. We're not to set out to be mean to people. To be unkind. As a matter of fact, the Bible says just the opposite in Ephesians 4, 4, 4 verse 32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ Jesus' sake, hath forgiven you. That, that is a prescription that comes straight from the Word of God, to be kind to people. But we have to stop being so thin-skinned. I, I, I know people that are just walking around looking to be offended. I'm just looking for a reason to get angry. I never really wanted to go to church. My wife drags me to church, so I'm just looking for something. I can name you five people right now. I know for a fact that they came to the church for years, and they came for somebody else. And they were just looking for something to offend them. And the moment they found their thing, they were gone. Be angry, but sin not. That's the anger that leads us to sin. The anger that causes us to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The anger that causes us to to fight with our brethren. And the Bible puts it this way in in the Sermon on the Mount. to, To have anger without a cause, let us be very careful. Examine your excuse for why you're angry today. Let me say this. If you've been angry for any length of time with somebody, there's a pretty good chance you can't even remember why. That brings us to the second thing. To help us understand verse 22, we read verse 23. So we're talking about anger without excuse, but notice secondly, anger which escalates. Anger which escalates. Verse 22, he says, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And what he is saying in verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee, he's saying it's where it starts is with ought. That little thing, that little pebble in your shoe, that little unkind word that struck you funny and bothered you, and now everything they say makes you angry. You ever had that kind of relationship? Somebody could tell it the funniest joke in the world. And you still just sit there stone-faced because you're mad about something they said 30 years ago. You can't get over it. Ought is the starting place. And notice how it escalates as we read verse, 23, uh, verse 22. He said, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with, uh, with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. I've called this unreasonable. Starting out to be unreasonable. He's angry without a cause. There's no good reason. Well, you don't know what that guy said to me. Really? That's all he said? I'm sure he was joking. 
I'm sure he didn't mean it that way. Years ago, there was a dear lady in our church, Donna Marshall. Donna was about five foot nothing, wasn't she? Little tiny lady. She's about 80, 82 years old now, I guess. Just, just a little tiny lady. When she smiled, she smiled with her whole body. She laughed. She laughed with her whole body. She just was a joy to be around. Just loved people, loved the Lord. And we would tease her. We loved to tease her. And she would tease right back. And she'd laugh and giggle. And we had a good time. One day her son came to me and she says, Pastor, you know, my mom, she doesn't like it when people tease her. Can you kind of tell people to settle down? And I said, oh, absolutely. I didn't know that. So I said to a couple of the men, I said, hey, I know you love Mrs. Marshall, but I'm hearing. And I went to her and I said, Miss Marshall, I just want to apologize to you. I said, we, we didn't mean to be teasing you. And she goes, what? Are you kidding me? I love it. She says, if you quit teasing me, I'll think you're mad at me. It wasn't her that had the problem. It was the pride of her son. We have to be careful. It starts with that little thing, ought. But then it brings us to a place where we're angry without a cause. No good reason. But notice what it does. So first of all, it's unreasonable. Number two, it's unkind. The next step beyond, beyond unreasonable is unkind. Look what he says next in verse 22. Without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. He said, what do you mean by unkind? Does anybody know what the word raka means? Maybe you have a reference Bible and it tells you in the column there. Here's what it means. It means empty head. So what he's saying is when you start going down to insults, it's one thing when you say, well, you know, Nelson, man, I, he said this thing the other day and it just kind of kind of bothered me. Man, that guy is a jerk. I've gone to the next step of anger. I've become unkind. Not as just my anger unreasonable, but now it's unkind. And God says, for the first, you'll stand in need of judgment. For number two, now you're going to come before the council. Now understand, the Lord Jesus Christ is using an imagery here. He's talking kind of in a parable where he's, he's not literally talking about a court case where you'll stand, but he's saying this is the degrees of this sin. So anger, which escalates, it starts being unreasonable, then it moves to being unkind, then finally it goes to being unforgiving. And look what it says, in uh, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or empty head, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. He said, what do you mean by that? We start out being unreasonable, then we become unkind, but now we become unforgiving. What Jesus Christ is saying here when he says, when we say to somebody, thou fool, we are literally saying this, go to hell. Because to call somebody a fool is one who has said in their heart, there is no God. You are passing judgment. You're saying you're a fool. And you should be condemned to hell as a result. 
Well, that's a hatred, isn't it? A child of God should never wish for anybody to go to hell. Years ago when I was in Bible college, it was my very last. It was getting close to graduation. We were at graduation. They have a week of meetings and they have preaching going on. And The president of the Baptist Bible Fellowship was preaching at that those meetings and, and uh, you know, talking to the students. And a lot of pastors had come in from out of town and parents were there. So, I mean, the field house had thousands of people and it just packed out and he was preaching. And he was talking about trying to purchase a building uh, where he pastored in Kansas. And he says, we bought, we got this building and it was, it was, God had given it to us, but we were kind of landlocked. And he says, we wanted to buy this property next to us. He says, but the people that lived all around wouldn't approve the zoning. He says, we had to post it. They had to get permission. There was a meeting and, and several people turned it down. And he said, he says, so he says, God got even with them. He says, he put a fire station there and the sirens are going all night. And he says, he says, and that's a good thing because they'll need a fire station for where I want to send them. And my heart sank. Here's a preacher of the gospel joking about sending people to hell. Thou fool. We're unforgiving in our anger, and we become judgmental. The word there, when it says, thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire, is not referring to the place that we know as hell, as an, as an eternity. But the Lord Jesus Christ was literally preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he could look down at the valley of Gehenna, and he could see the garbage pit would burn night and day. And he was saying, when you get to the point where you're unforgiving, it's like that consuming fire down there that burns you all the time. It will never let you loose. It's an anger which escalates. I wonder today if maybe there's somebody here that say, you know, preacher, I, I've been angry with somebody. I believe it's with a cause. I don't believe I fall into this category without a cause. I believe I'm angry with a cause. Oh, hold on, there's more. There's more. Notice the next thing we see in the Scripture. We see, first of all, the description of anger, but we notice, secondly, the downfall of anger. In verse 22, he's talking about those who are angry without a cause and how it escalates in our life and it begins to become a consuming fire that we cannot quench and it burns us up more than the one that we're angry with. But in verse 23, it says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and the remembrance that thy brother hath aught against thee. He's no longer talking about without a cause. He's saying if there's anything at all. If there's something there, oh, but I, I, I'm, I'm angry with the cause. He says, I don't care. If you have ought, anything at all, if something is hanging over your head when you come to worship, you need to go make it right. That's what the Bible says. Now you say, well, preacher, I've tried. I've gone to that person. I've spoke to that person. They won't hear it. There's no sin, so Matthew 18 doesn't really apply. They, I'm just trying to get some things straightened around. Let me say this. I think it's always important that our consciences are clear before God. 
How many of you know that we are a broken human race? (laughs) We are a fallen people. And we don't get along with everybody. How many of you know that you can love people that you don't necessarily like? You ever been to a family reunion? You know what I'm talking about. But we do have to be kind one to another. And we do have to make the effort to go and try to make it right so they wouldn't hear it. And, and we, we said we're sorry, and we've kind of put that thing behind us, but the, it's just not the same. Make sure your conscience is clear. Do your part. Because notice the downfall of anger as we look at these next couple verses. He says, if there's ought, if there's any little thing, if there's something, Jesus describes this anger without a cause, but now he changes his emphasis to this word ought, and it simply means if there's anything. But notice what it does to your worship. Verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first. Be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. We see, number one, an unacceptable gift. An unacceptable gift. If you're fighting with somebody, squabbling all the time, and you get up and sing praises to our God, whether it's out here or whether it's up here, you're out of order. That's an unacceptable gift. You might go home this afternoon and somebody said, well, how was worship today? And you say, oh, worship was wonderful. And my answer will be, you didn't worship at all if you have aught with a brother. You didn't worship at all because your gift was unacceptable. And by implication, not only is it an unacceptable gift, it's an unhappy God. We come and we pray, Lord, we want you to be pleased and we want you to be glorified and we want you to be honored. And ought with a brother destroys that. He's not happy with it. He's not pleased. He's not honored. He's not glorified. Do we have ought? Is there something we're holding out? Notice what it says at the end of that verse, verse 24. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. God desires our worship. He still wants that gift. But he says, I can't accept it until you reconcile, until you make things right. Notice the next thing. The description of anger, the downfall of anger. Here's what's important, the deliverance from anger. Verse 24, he says, be reconciled. So number one, we see a commanded reconciliation. A commanded reconciliation. This isn't a choice. It's not something we decide to do. It's a command we obey. Go be reconciled. How many of you ever had kids that fought? Put your hand down, Mom. Your kids fight? You ever pull them up and say, now come on, you say sorry. You, you get this right. I, I remember visiting with the Brazel family. Um, Candy was my... Wife's maid of honor, and we were there, and they had two little kids, and Hunter and Trent, and those little boys, you know, they're just like little boys, they get wrestling and whatever, and, uh, and Candy always, I, this stuck with me all these years, she always said, that's your best friend. Don't do that to your best friend. And she just reinforced that in their lives every, all the time, that's your best friend. 
And you'd see those boys soften immediately. And some, when they're three and four years old, they'd hug or they'd say, sorry. We don't let our kids act like that. You think God's going to let us act like that? He says, reconcile. Make it right. So we see a commanded reconciliation. To reconcile is to change thoroughly, to renew a friendship. I told you we'd look at Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Keep your finger in Matthew 5 and turn over to Mark 11. We're going to look at this other occurrence of the word ought. Now, the word ought appears a lot of times in the Bible, but only twice in this context. It has a different meaning than the other occurrences. You'll remember the Lord Jesus Christ was talking to the Pharisees and they were tithing on all kinds of things, the seeds. And he says, this ought ye to have done. And that's a totally different use of the word. Well, this word ought means something. Mark 11, verse 25 says, But when you stand praying, listen, forgive if ye have ought against any. Matthew chapter 5 says, If I come to the altar and I remember that my brother has ought against me, I'm to leave my gift. I'm going to go reconcile with my brother. I'm going to make it right. If he is angry with me, if it's I who is the offender, and he says, because of it, he may take you to the judgment or to the council or to the judge, and you'll be cast out and all these things. So he says, you've offended him, and he's going to hold that against you. Go and make it right. But now he says, if you stand praying, if ye have ought, if you're mad at somebody, then you need to forgive them. That your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So we see a couple keys if we're going to be delivered from anger under this idea of a commanded reconciliation. Number one, in Matthew chapter 5, we see we must have a surrendered heart. A surrendered heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 25, the very first word. Agree. Agree with thine adversary quickly. Do you know what the word agree means there? To give yourself wholly to. To give yourself wholly to. It's a term that has to do with a marriage vow. Give yourself over wholly to somebody. How many of you, how many of you men had to compromise in your marriage? Oh, come on, guys. You better learn real quick, I'm telling you. Compromise. My wife uh, likes to joke about this. We, for our 25th anniversary, we, uh, we decided we wanted to take a cruise. We saved up, and we wanted to go on a cruise for our 25th a couple years ago. And my wife teaches school. So the only time we can go is in the summertime. And so look at me. I'm as white as they come. I do not do the sun, okay? I am pasty white. I am bald. I burn up like you wouldn't believe. And so I said, I just, she, she wanted to go to the Caribbean somewhere, Caribbean cruise or somewhere like that in the south, you know? And I said, I said, hon, I, I can't do it. I said, I, not in the summer. If you want to go in December or whatever, but I can't do it in the summertime. I said, how about Alaska? I'm the other extreme, the other end of the continent, you know? And, uh, and then we get up there, and it was 85 degrees in forest fires. I couldn't win. But anyway, I said, how about us? So she says, so I wanted to go to the Caribbean. She says, Alan went to, wanted to go to Alaska, so we compromised and went to Alaska. That was our compromise. And sometimes compromise works like that, doesn't it? And, and what she did there was says, I, I agree. 
I'm giving myself wholly over to your idea, to your preference. I will submit myself. We'll do that instead. Agree with thine adversary. How many of you know it's hard enough to agree with people you get along with? But now God says agree with your adversary. You know that word adversary is the exact same word in the Greek as the word Satan? The word Satan means adversary. The one who's against us, the one that's made you angry, agree with them quickly. We have to submit ourselves, we have to humble ourselves, and so we need a surrendered heart in in, in order to be able to agree. Notice verse 25, agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge. Let me say this, agree with him because sometimes you are wrong. You don't get delivered to the judge unless you're guilty, unless you're in the wrong. Unless he has something to bring up against you. He's saying, so agree with him. Because sometimes you're wrong, and that's sometimes the problem. We have a hard time admitting we're wrong. In our house, we'll, I'll say to my wife, oh, you're right. You're right. And she'll say, ooh, say that again. And then she'll say to me, you're right. And I'll say, how'd that taste coming out of your mouth? We tease each other. But we ought to submit one to another. And if we're angry, the Bible says we are to surrender our heart and agree. Throw yourself on the mercy of the one that has ought or is angry with you. Because sometimes we're wrong. Humble yourself and admit it. You say, well, what if I'm right? Look at Mark 11, verse 25. What if I'm right? And when you stand praying, forgive if you have odd against any. They've offended you and you're upset with them. But I'm right. The Lord says, forgive. When you stand praying, forgive. He said, well, does that mean I have to go to them and I have to? No, no. You have to forgive. You have to be man enough or woman enough to let it go. He said, well, what if there's other issues? Then go deal with those issues. But do it from a standpoint of forgiveness and grace, not a standpoint of anger. Forgive first. Oh, I'll tell you what, it'll change your worship and it'll change your prayer life. He said, if you bring your gift to an altar and anybody has ought against you, you leave that gift, you can't worship me right now. He said, and if you're going to stand and pray, you better forgive If you have ought against somebody because you can't pray right now, tainted worship and powerless prayers. Now notice this. We're almost done. We see a surrendered heart. Number two, we're talking about a commanded reconciliation. A surrendered heart, number two, a sincere humility. Forgive. Well, they did me wrong. My wife and I know a family that we went to college with and Every day it was, well, that guy did me wrong. You know what I'm talking about? They were perpetual victims. That guy did me wrong. That guy did me wrong. I mean, I heard that phrase over and over again. Forgive. A sincere humility. Why? Not only is there a commanded reconciliation, there's a costly result. 
Matthew chapter 5, notice what it says, verse 25. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Number one, we are cast from his presence. Again, the Lord is illustrating here. He's talking about how we go to a judge and then we go to a council and then we can be cast into prison. He's illustrating when you have anger with a brother, when you have ought with a brother, just something. Eventually we get to the point where God says, you can't worship me. You can't pray properly. And I'm going to have to put you in this prison over here. And he says, listen, you're not coming out until you've paid the other most farthing. You've paid all the dues. You've paid all the debt. No, no, no. Lord, I want to worship you. Go pay your debt. Lord, I want to come and I want to sing your praises. Then go talk to your brother. Maybe it's not even something he's aware of. He got you angry and you're holding out odd against him. Forgive him. Let it go. But if you know he's angry with you, leave your gift. Pay the uttermost farthing. Pay all the debt. Otherwise, we're cast from his presence. To be in prison is to be separated. Number two, we're talking about a costly result. Cast from his presence. Number two, it complicates our prayers. He says in Mark chapter 11, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Have you forgiven? Lord, forgive me. Why? Have you forgiven so-and-so? You just wait over here in prison for a little bit. You can't worship? Oh, but I, I, I went to church this morning, and I worship God. Did you? Not if you have aught with a brother. Not if there's something going on in your heart against another. Forgiveness. You know, we run a risk when we're angry in any fashion. To be angry without a cause is strongly forbidden, but even when we only have aught with somebody, it leads us to a place where we can find a greater burden placed upon us. A loss of worship, a loss of power in our prayer, and a lack of forgiveness. Let me read this quote. I just read this this week, and I thought it was so appropriate. Evangelist Scott Pauley said this, Imagine explaining to Jesus at the judgment seat why we spent the last days of the church age arguing over our petty disputes, debating lesser things, and preaching our preferences while the world went to hell. Preach the word, give the gospel. It is our privilege and responsibility. Let's pray. Father, love you. Help us, Lord, to walk, as the Bible says, and live peaceably with all men. 
as much as lieth within you. Lord, I pray that we take to heart the words that are here today in the Word of God and the Spirit would speak to our hearts and prick our hearts. Lord, I know there's times where we don't always are super close with people. I don't think that's what the Scripture is indicating here. There's times where maybe we've made things right and we still don't have the same exact relationship we once did. Maybe there's a trust issue still. Lord, the onus is always upon myself to at least go, to try to make it right if I've offended, or to offer forgiveness or just give forgiveness when I have done wrong. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see the Word of God for what it is today and speak to our hearts. Lord, we so desperately want to be a place of worship. So help us to be right with you and to be right with one another. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. No one's looking around. Would to God that he would do a work in our hearts and help us today. We so desperately want to worship him. We want our prayers to be heard and answered. We want forgiveness of our sins, but we must be willing to give it in order to get it.